If you're looking for a complete nutrition bar for the trail, look no further than Green Belly. Their meals contain 650 calories each, more than two and a half times the energy of a Cliff Bar. Think of them like cereal bars on steroids. Because Green Belly meals are ready to eat, requiring no stove or cleanup, they make the perfect trail breakfast, lunch, and or dinner. Their meals are super light and made with wholesome ingredients with flavors like peanut apricot, dark chocolate banana, mango cashew coconut, spiced caramel apple, and my personal favorite, the cranberry almond. They taste great and are handmade fresh every week. The texture on these bars are dense, but still soft. They're also not too sweet, which is a very nice change of pace in the world of sugary meal replacement bars. The bars are perfect for long distance treks as the founder, Christopher Cage, is himself a thru-hiker. You may recognize that name from his appearance on the Joe Rogan Experience. And good news for you, our Trail Correspondence listeners, you get an exclusive 10% discount site-wide at Greenbelly. Just use code TC10, that's the letters T, C, and the number 10, at checkout at their website, greenbelly.co. Don't wait, this deal is only good for a limited time. So we started chopping steps with their ice axes and taking turns and making it across. And we made it about halfway across and we glanced up and just down the trail, this like cliff, cliff trail, we see another grizzly bear just walking towards us down the trail. to Trail Correspondence presented by The Trek. I am your host, Zach Badger Davis. Today introduces our first wildcard episode of season four. What's a wildcard episode, you ask? While the majority of episodes offer very specific instructions on what our correspondence should be relaying to you, the listener, wildcard episodes simply ask our hikers to talk about whatever is top of mind for them right now. As you might imagine, today's entries cover a lot of ground. Everything from near-death experiences to notable wildlife encounters to dealing with wildfires out west, communication challenges, and much more. In years past, our wildcard episodes have been some of our listeners' favorites, and this will be no exception. Okay, less of me, more of them. Here they are. Okay, wild card episode here. This is Lara talking. I am coming at you from Lenape Hoking, aka my home in Frenchtown, New Jersey. Um, so I just finished up the 100 mile wilderness section um, two days ago. I got back to Frenchtown last night um, so that I can have my surgery pretty soon. And fun fact, I'm staying on the podcast. Woo! In case. You actually like me. If not, sorry, that sucks. Um, but so I took about seven days to finish the 100 mile. And right now I want to talk to you guys about just community because it's something I've been thinking about like a lot, especially um, having to get off trail. Um, right from the first day, I met so many great people. Um, I mean, like the first night, uh, I, I mentioned it, I had Johnny Appleseed and Elizabeth, uh, singing songs to me around a campfire. Um, I didn't see them too much during the rest of the trail. I ran into Johnny like a few more times, but nothing major. Um, but I made a bunch of other friends along the way. Um, uh, there was this one kid named Adam and, um, not Tyler. <laughs> that's not his name. His name's Kevin, but that's long story, uh, Jinx, Zach, and just like so many great people that I met along the way. And we kind of had like, like almost a, an accordion thing going on where you might not see them the whole day, but then you'd run into each other at camp. And they all just made me feel so at home and so at peace. And um, I had this issue with the food drop at one point, um, halfway through the 100 mile. And I was thinking, oh, shit, I'm gonna have to you know, just book it out of here, finish this thing in like three days. 
And that was like just getting into the really mountainous part of it. Um, and that would have been like super challenging for me, but the people were so great. Everyone was offering me food. Um, Zach was traveling with, uh, his fiance stitches and, um, his friend doubled down and his girlfriend, Sam, and they all, they all gave me food, uh, that they had excess of. And I had, um, buffalo tuna mac and cheese, which was so fucking good. Um, and like, honestly, like I'm crying just a little bit thinking about how great everyone was. And then at the end of the 100 mile, like I finished it with Adam. Um, but I got, we, we got to Shaw's together and there were all of these people at Shaw's that like some of them I had only run, ran into briefly along the trail and they were just all there and it felt like coming home. And like, I'm so sad that I'm probably not going to see a lot of them, uh, just because I got to take these six weeks off. And that means that a lot of them are going to get substantially further down the trail than uh, I think I'm going to be able to catch up with. But like, you always hear about hiker families, um, and you think, oh, that's cool. Yeah. You're going to make friends, obviously, but it's so impressive just how quickly you can make friends out there and just how quickly bonds develop and how much you end up caring about these people that you like realistically you have not known for that long but like since you're just forced into these like prolonged periods of time that you're you're in touch with them and you're having to like go through all of these struggles together you just get so close to everyone and they mean so much to you. And um, there's a couple of people that I didn't get to say goodbye to before I left Shaw's. And that like, it's gnawing at me a little bit. Um, but I, if, if they hear this, I, guys, I miss you so much. Um, and I hope I see you guys again sometime. Um, but yeah, it's, it's honestly just it's so magical and and such a great feeling just knowing how many people like genuinely care about you even though you've known them for such a short period of time um yeah yeah <laughs> i'm crying right now um but that's that's that that's that that's my sappy train of thought on community on trail because it's it's more than I could have ever believed I would have. So, this is Lara signing off. Bye. This is M8 in Bernie, California, after finishing a very hot 90-mile section that began just south of Castle Craigs. So this is the Wild Card podcast. And so my question that I have for my fellow hikers who have come out and trail, leaving significant others at home, is to first tell me briefly about your significant other, who you're wanting to maintain a relationship with, and then what do you plan to do to keep that relationship healthy while you're on trail? So I have with me a fellow hiker, Janelle. <laughs> <laughs> She's from the hotel room next door <laughs> who I met. So Janelle has left a significant other at home. Tell us a little bit about who that is. Yeah. So my partner's name is Austin. Um, we've been together for almost a year. Um, we've lived about an hour and a half apart, uh, the whole time we've been together and we were going to move in together when I get done with the trail. So we're in a big transition, but we're familiar with a little bit of the long distance, not so much this much long distance, but it's not unfamiliar to us right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> and okay. then, yeah, our plan, uh, for keeping in touch and keeping our relationship, healthy is um sending lots of video texts via marco polo app if you don't know about that it's awesome yeah. you can record on trail and then once you get service uh it sends them to your 
significant other or friends or family. I love it because I'm hiking solo. So people yeah. um, send me things and I get it when I'm in town. And that's been really nice. And um, you can see them over and over again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I can play my favorites over yeah. and over. Um, obviously, we do calls. I send him back gear I don't want from town. Yeah. Um, postcards. I sent some really gross feet pictures. Um, <laughs> that's endearing. <laughs> yes. And then he's flying out to meet me at Bridge of the Gods and then Hearts Pass. Um, I'm flip-flopping Novo. So those will be two big um, milestones for me. And then throughout the desert section, because he's moving us to LA while I'm on trail. And uh, lastly, we don't share finances yet. So that makes it a lot simpler. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you, Janelle. Yeah, thanks. All right. Okay. So I'm here with two hiker friends who um, are willing to share a little bit about their relationships um, with um, their significant others that they've left at home. So can you guys introduce your trail name and tell me a little bit about who you've left at home? Hi, I'm Scooper. I left a husband of, we've been married for 22 years, and my son, who's 18, my daughter, who's 16, and my 84-year-old mom. Okay, wow. That's a lot of people to try to keep up with at home. Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> and your I'm name? Slay. I have a boyfriend of like a year and a half. Yeah. Okay. And so... Scooper, can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on how you try to maintain those relationships and keep things on a on the positive while you're out on the trail? Well, I try to contact them when I can. And when we get reception, like on higher on the mountains, I've been doing the app Marco Polo, where I can make a video and send it to them once I get um, service. And I text on my Garmin inReach at night to let my husband know my whereabouts and that I'm I'm doing well. Okay, so about how often do you think that is that you're able to um, um, communicate? I try to do my Garmin at least twice a day. Um, the service is very intermittent, so maybe like three or four times a week. Okay, and tell me a little bit about your mom. Was that is that? Mm -hmm. She's 87, you said? No, she's 84. 84. So I, I can only really call her because she doesn't have texting <laughs> capabilities at her age. Um, so I call her when we're mostly on zero days or in-town days. Okay. And is she okay with that? Yeah, she misses me. And I can tell she's kind of teary-eyed when she gets off the phone with me. Yeah. But I bet she's proud of you, too. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sway, you have a boyfriend. I have a boyfriend. Uh, I send him lots of photos of my hiking experience, and I try to video call him when I'm half service. And that's about the extent. I'll Snapchat him every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> is he pretty supportive of you being out here? Mm -hmm. He is, yeah. Uh, especially after going through the death of my mom and it being a time to process, he's really supportive of in my journey, even though it makes me a little <laughs> teary-eyed sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And he's been real supportive in helping you dial in your gear and sending yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's sent, like, so much gear replacements and then keeps on getting a little box at his house and he opens them and then it's like a little camp stove or something. <laughs> he always gets yeah. little surprises. Fun. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do you guys have anything else you want to add about... You know, the challenges of keeping up relationships at home with children or anything. Yeah, my daughter went away to work at a camp for three weeks. And so she also doesn't have cell reception. So I was able to talk to her real briefly here just a second ago. But um, that's been even more challenging because I know I can't just call her whenever I get reception. She has to have reception also. Right, right. And how old is she? She's 16. 16. So anyway, there are for sure challenges, but we're really trying. I know a lot of us have significant others that we've left at home. And um, so if you have any thoughts or ideas, I'd love to hear about them. I'm Dave. I'm the husband of M8, Matt. Um, and we've been married. This will be our 39th year uh, this December. And uh, though I've done a lot of uh, adventures in my growing up years, um, 
canoeing down the Trinity River and bicycling up from Redding to Crater Lake down the coast of San Francisco and backpacking in the Olympic Mountains with uh, Christian Service Brigade and different groups like that. I wasn't able to take my wife out because we have eight year eight kids um, until she was 50 and the kids were old enough and boy, did she love it. So uh, now she's able to actually fulfill her dream and, and be out and be the introvert she loves to be and love the, love the mountains, love getting away. Um, she's going to be gone for six months. Uh, that's going to be really hard on me. It is hard on me, uh, not having her around. I still find myself waking up feeling like I'm in a dream. Um, but, uh, it'll also give me a chance to kind of try to do some surprises, uh, while she's gone, uh, for her and, um, fulfill some of my goals and things here. Um, I will see her about every month as I'm resupplying them up and down the coast here, uh, since it's close to our home in the Fresno Clovis area. Uh, so we're trying to connect, uh, daily through, uh, texting. Uh, she has a garment in reach and then we're also trying to connect whenever she has phone service and do some FaceTime. Okay. Well, we just heard from my husband who I've left at home and how he is dealing with the whole thing of myself and two daughters being gone on trail. So thank you, Dave, for that. I just want to add that I really think it's important to be keeping in regular contact with those that we love that we've left at home. And I think just remembering that this five, six months isn't all about us on the trail, but they do, they're continuing with life at home. And so taking an interest in what's going on there and with them and just being super grateful um, would go a long way in keeping things positive in the relationships. So I know we're all navigating that and I hope some of this is interesting and has been fun to listen to. So this is M8 signing off from Quincy on a Zero Day. Hi all, Moss here. Uh, I'm about three miles away from Stevens Pass, which is about um, 188 miles into the PCT. Oh my goodness. So this section has been pretty difficult. Uh, it's been beautiful, exhilarating, anxiety and fear inducing. Uh, pretty much I've had the gamut of emotions out here these past seven days. Um, so this section was a over a hundred miles long and it just kind of feels like we are the only people out here. Like there's not that much, um, information up and down the trail right now. Um, it's kind of feels like we're the only ones out here. So it's kind of stressful going into a hundred mile section, not knowing what the conditions are like, especially with all this snow. And some of the people we were talking to or met, uh, had some conflicting information or we're talking about like how there were certain parts that were like fully inundated with snow. So it's just like kind of stressful coming out here and basically committing to a hundred miles because, you know, if things get a little spicy day four, uh, you're kind of just have to keep going. There's not really a good option to turn back around unless there's like a good side trail. So these have been some of my highest highs and lowest lows on the trail so far. Like I've literally cried, uh, from how beautiful it is. And then I've also cried from, um, how much I feel my mortality <laughs> sometimes on the trail. Um, so the three biggest things that I've noticed that have like noticed that have made me a little bit nervous. Um, this one's pretty small, but the blowdowns are still a thing. And, uh, sometimes they're pretty hard. They're not scary necessarily. It's just that they're very time consuming. And so sometimes it's stressful being in a very like high blowdown area and not knowing like, okay, is this going to take me like, um, you know, an hour to do two, two miles, or is it going to take me a mile per hour? Things like that. Uh, additionally, we've had a couple of Fords. There have been a couple that have been kind of scary. Um, they've all been manageable, but I'm just like personally afraid of fording water. I feel like that's like a really easy way to get, uh, swept away. And I don't know, I guess I just kind of think of all the potential things that could go wrong. Like, 
what if my pack gets wet and gets like swept down the trail and I have no gear? Um, what if I get swept away? What if I die? <laughs> so, um, luckily we've had mostly six, well, yeah, we've had successful fords and, um, I'm really grateful to my tramley and teammates because, um, a lot of times they'll go first and kind of scope it out and, um, figure out what the best place is. And, um, one of our partners, um, one of our friends, boy band has literally like stuck his arm out and just like been my anchor to like drag me across the river. So very appreciative. And then the third thing, which is like the biggest thing is the snow. Um, and that's just for me based on my skill level. I'm sure if you have like a lot of snow experience is probably not that bad. And a lot of the sections are pretty mellow, but there are some times where it's really long snow fields. They're really steep sections and it feels like you're kind of traversing and that like at any moment, if you slip, you're just going to kind of slide down the mountain. And sometimes there's not a lot of uh, material on the other side. Um, sometimes these snow fields are only, or these snow sections are only maybe a couple of feet tall. And so it feels like you're just going to kind of fall into gravel and dirt. I would almost rather like fall into more snow, I feel like. Um, but yeah, the snow has been really stressful for me. Uh, and it's really challenged me. It's actually like, like on the really bad days, sometimes I just think of quitting. Um, and I know that it's just like me being in a bad place during that time um and I know like as soon as I eat some food and I go to bed like the next morning I'm fine but it's just like the build-up of that entire day dealing with the snow um for like hours on end and it like never ending sometimes is really draining on me um it definitely makes me think that I'm crazy to be out here but um the last couple days have really mellowed out in the snow department and it's really built up my confidence um, I'm starting to like really appreciate the trail. It's like so beautiful right now. We've had a couple of really good days viewpoint wise and just like the snow has been very manageable instead of like being in constant fear. So, um, I'm kind of breathing a sigh of relief. I'm looking forward to town food tomorrow and, um, yeah, I'm just going to look at the snow conditions and maybe take a couple days off in the hopes of letting things melt. Um, but yeah, overall, it's been really great. Um, yeah, I guess for reference, this is being recorded in early July. So this is something that I really never expected was to be dealing with snow in July in the high mountains. But um, I guess that shows how much research I did for this trail. So um, but that's all I got for you guys today. So this is Moss signing off. Ibex coming at you from around mile 185 southbound on the PCT. Um, and today I wanted to talk about the various times over the past couple weeks in which I've asked myself, am I about to die right now? Um, Cause it's happened more than once. So, okay, let's start from the beginning. First off, there were the blowdowns, right? When we were taking these lower alternates to avoid excessive snow uh, getting to the Canadian border, these trails haven't been maintained since maybe 2019, and they are just littered with blowdowns. And it's definitely a safer option than the snow, but the whole time I was just thinking about, there's this girl we know who was hiking the CDT. She was there with her boyfriend, and he was climbing over a blowdown um, and fell and broke his wrist. So, you know, there's definitely ways you can get hurt. And some of these ones specifically were like, they're, they just have these really gnarly little spiky branches that stick straight up and get like broken in certain ways so that they have these wicked points on the ends. And I'm just staring at these points thinking, if I fell on this right now, I just get completely impaled by this tree branch, right? Um, and it actually almost happened once I fell on one and it, it was just a small spike coming up from it. And it went through my pants, tore a hole in my pants. And just like, I stopped myself just in time where I felt it like pushing into my thigh skin. But if I had actually fallen all the way on it, that thing would have been right in my thigh. So, you know, that's of course what I'm thinking about climbing over blowdowns. And then of course there's the snow, obviously. So from, Hearts Pass South, we've followed the whole PCT. Uh, there was one detour around a uh, river that had a bridge down. 
But other than that, we've been on the entire PCT, and there has just been snow after snow after snow, and it's kind of been awesome. I mean, it feels like such an adventure. It's so beautiful, and we're getting, you know, better and better with it and more and more confident hiking on snow. But there's definitely moments of each day, some days more than others, where you come to a sort of just ledge and it's a super steep snow field and you have to cross it and you look down and it just leads to rocks and, and, or nothingness or just, yeah, a big pile of painful looking rocks that you could slide down into. And the only way you're crossing it is these like tiny little footholds. You got to maintain like three points of contact at any given time and go really slow. And of course I'm thinking about, I hope my ISEX works if I do fall. Um, so yeah. Yeah, there's that, uh, not to mention snow bridges and whatnot that you could easily fall through. And as we're more into the thaw season now and the snow's getting softer, I've definitely gone through a few things, but fortunately, no, no issue. Um, then there's the river crossings, which, I mean, every river is just swollen with snow melt right now. Unfortunately, the biggest rivers do have bridges. Um, and so it's mostly a lot of like smaller creeks and streams that are just raging right now. Uh, but there was one in particular, I think the day before yesterday, and I can't remember what it's called now, but it was this really, really wide one that at first was just kind of spread out and easy to rock hop across the first part. But then we came to an area, maybe only 10 or 15 feet wide where it was just raging and it was deep. Um, so that was kind of the first deeper stream I had to ford that we couldn't rock hop or take a blow down across or something. And that water is just powerful. Like I could feel it really trying to take me away. It was up to my thighs and yeah, it was definitely another moment where I was like, Oh, am I about to die right now? <laughs> um, so yeah, but I would say the probably the most likely way that I would die is by hiking along, looking up, dropping my jaw at some totally knockout view and forgetting to stop hiking and just continuing to hike right off of a ledge because this has almost happened a couple times. I have to remind myself when I'm looking at a view to just stop hiking because a lot of this trail is just sort of on like a cliffside and it's a very, very steep drop down and it is so freaking beautiful out here. Like it's just unreal. Um, so yeah, whenever I look up, <laughs> I need to stop walking and just taking the view. But yeah, I also wanted to say that all these thoughts on death and, um, recognizing my mortality, I feel like it's kind of a good thing. I mean, one of the reasons I threw hike in the first place is because, it brings you so much into the present moment and heightens your awareness. And uh, just by, you know, being out in nature and pushing your body physically. But this kind of like takes that up a few more like levels, you know, you're out here, you're doing all that, but you're also constantly having to negotiate, okay, where's my next step going to go? Because one wrong step and I could be actually dead. Um and yeah, it's just something that I feel, I don't know. We just feel when we get through the fact that we're getting through this, all four of us making it through, um, making the miles that we want to be making, like each night in camp feels like a reason for celebration. Like we've made it this far, we've done it. Um, and yeah, being in that present moment and that heightened awareness, like feels just really great. I'm just super happy out here right now. And yeah, that's it for now. And I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Hey there, it's Toodles. I am checking in from a couple of miles northbound of Trout Lake, Washington, heading in for a quick resupply and back out on the trail, trying to get to Oregon. Um, so for my episode today, I wanted to, well, really just tell a story. It's one of my favorite parts of hiking is hearing the stories from all the other folks out here. And, you know, and I miss sharing stories around a campfire at night and there's no campfires, obviously, west of the Mississippi. I think hiker royalty said. So, yeah, but here's a story anyway. This is the story of Dick the Chicken. 
So once upon a time, there was a husband and a wife, Dick and his husband, Betsy, we'll call her. And they lived on a little farm, had chickens and a ornery rooster and some cows and lived just a quaint little life. And they adored each other. Every time that they walked into a room, they smiled at each other and never left a room without telling each other they loved each other. One day, it was around 7, 30, 8 o'clock, still a little bit early for them, whenever Dick tells Betsy that he thinks he's going to retire early for the day. So she says, okay, honey. And he goes into the room and he lays down and gets all comfortable and he's just starting to wind down and then Dick dies. So there he is. He's standing there, whatever the place is, whenever we're dead, talking to the fellow that's made in the door. And he says, oh, welcome, Dick. I don't know whether to say congratulations or I'm sorry. And Dick said, oh, God, like, what happened? Like, I was healthy. I was fine. Oh, I don't know these things, said the gatekeeper. I just know that you're here now. But but my wife, Betsy, I can't leave her. What about the farm? What's everybody going to do? Ah, this is the struggle we all go through. There is nothing that I can do. Please, please, can't you just ask whoever's in charge? Whatever it takes, just anything to be with my wife. And his pleading was just enough that the gatekeeper said, let me ask. He pulled out his cell phone. A couple seconds later, there was a buzzing sound and he turns around and looks at Dick and said, you may return on one condition. Yes, 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 Dick, whatever it is, anything. You cannot go back as yourself. You can only become an animal. An animal, but will I still be close to my wife? That can be arranged. However, she will not know that it's you and you will not be able to communicate. But, but wait, Dick thought, will I still be able, will I still know who I am? Oh, yes. Yes, said the gatekeeper. But you may not do anything other than what a chicken would. Okay, that's fine, Dick said. Anything, as long as I'm close to my wife. And then, bada bing, bada boom, he's back on earth. Dick looks around and, hey, he recognized, he built this hen house. He's, he looks around, he's got feathers. He's a, he's a, and next thing you know, he's slamming his face into the ground. And he's what the? What the hell is going on? And he looks around and there's the rooster coming across the yard. And Dick goes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a chicken. He's just slamming his face into the ground like he's trying to get some worms or something. Nobody knows. But he just kept doing it. Then the rooster came over and goes, oh, I'm the rooster. And I'll be taking care of you during your stay. What do you, what do you mean? I'm not, I don't need any help. Well, oh, it is about that time of day. And you are not in the hen house where we lay the eggs. Wait, 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 Dick said. I'm not here to lay any eggs. I'm just supposed to be, what? But then he, he started to feel a pressure. Hey, wait, what's going on? I told you, we should go to the hen house. But wait, th- th- oh, I don't know what's going on. And then there was just this, it was a pain, a feeling that was indescribable. And it built up in Dick. And then, and when, just whenever he thought he was going to burst, out comes an egg. Oh, said the rooster. You've done wonderfully. Dick, in a panic, looks around like, what the, what the hell? Like, this is not what I signed up for. I'm supposed to just be here to watch my wife. Like, I'm not supposed to lay eggs. Oh, but yes, legs you lay. It is not uncommon to lay two or even three per day, said the rooster. Wait, Dick said, more than what? And just about at that time, when those words sink in, so did the pressure. And so did the building. And it was all, it was so tough, but, but Dick knew what was coming this time. And then boop, out comes another egg. Still, it was a strange feeling. And Dick looked around and saw the two eggs. And it was almost like a, like a maternal instinct came over him. And he thought, damn, I really am a chicken. I'm a chick, and he slams his face into the ground, and he goes, "Okay, we gotta, we gotta work on that." But, but I'm a chicken. I'm close to my wife. May not be able to communicate with her, but I can feed her off of these eggs that I'm laying. I can do this. 
I can do this. And just as he's warming to the idea and he starts to waddle towards the hen house with the rooster, he starts to feel it for a third time. Oh, said the rooster. Yes, you are going to be quite productive. And so Dick's, he's there and, and this time he's ready for it. And as the pressure starts to build, Dick just lets go and he starts to push. And the next thing you know, bam, bam, his wife is slapping him across the face. Dick, 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 wake up. You're pooping in the bed. Toodles, y'all. Katmandu, a wild card. So for my wild card, I just want to talk about uh, communication on the trail, on the PCT. Um, When I was on the AT, it was like a pipeline of information. And... uh, most most of the information was was fairly accurate as to trail conditions, weather, information from town to town. Um, there was a real good chain of um, how things were spread and the accuracy um, on the PCT. Um, when we first started, um, things were kind of rapidly changing. We had a major. Uh, heat wave uh, in excess of 100 degrees in the northern Cascades. Uh, we still had a lot of snow to deal with, um, and we had some sketchy snow crossings, some ice bridges that were suspect. Um, but, you know, we got to from Hearts Pass, tagged the border, um, started heading south, and truly became Sobos. Um, we didn't start seeing people that were Nobos until. Um, really back at Hearts Pass. So after about 60 miles and, uh, you know, besides congratulating people that were on on track for like a 90-day through hike, um, we were really interested as to what the conditions were like ahead and, you know, if they were something we should be concerned of. Do we need our ice axes? Do we need our micro spikes? Um, and it was just really hard to get a good answer. Um, and at the end of the day, we, we all sent our ice axes home and our micro spikes home, um, to then need them (laughs) like uh, a week on week three. Um, but we, you know, we got through it. You know, we utilized the tools we had. We used our trekking poles for self-arrest, and it didn't get too crazy. Um, and the river crossings were certainly more of a challenge. But this theme kind of has been continuing with um, fire closures, uh, first in Mazama, which is essentially uh, backed by Hearts Pass. There was, a, there was some wildfires caused by lightning. Uh, we were told the... Um, the whole town was compromised. Uh, Trail Angel's house and hostel burned to the ground, and um, it just looked really bad. And they were telling people that were going Nobo to get off at Stevens Pass, and we felt really bad. And, and I felt compelled to, when people asked me for information, to just say, I, I really don't know. I've heard too many conflicting things. So the wild card for me is just like the, the chain of um, information. It just seems really blurred. Um, now we're, we're in Oregon. And um, we, we have to do our first skip around. Um, we, uh, we're heading to Lalali Lake. We got past Timothy Lake and found out that all the roads were closed. We called some forest rangers just to verify. Um, and then, you know, we ran into people that said, yeah, no, the roads are open. You, you probably will never get a ride. So you have to double back some 20 some miles. Um, so it's, you know, even utilizing uh, the internet when we have access to the PCTA. Um, there's just so many conflicting things. I read a report this morning of um, five closures in in Oregon. Um, in, in all reality, you get done reading through all of them. Four were warnings and one was a legitimate closing and that was where we, we stopped. And it was a fire closing for the Lion's Head fire. So, um, you know, it's really hard to get good, accurate information. So that's a wild card. I, I really... You know, the only other long trail I did was the AT prior to this, and it just seemed to be more clear and more concise, um, you know, with the exception of when you hit Virginia, people tell you that it's flat. But, um, you know, that's that, that's typical trail uh, talk. So, you know, you take it with a grain of salt. But, yeah, you really have to dive deep to find out what's the true story out here and, and cite many different sources to get information. Uh, trail Angels are 
the conduit that really, really good, accurate information. And I can't say enough good things for trail angels because they're, they're just miraculous people anyway. They're, you know, a hike is not a hike without a good network or trail angels. So I'd rather depend on them um, heavily, um, you know, getting, getting good, accurate information. So that's kind of my wild card topic. Um, you know, it seems to me, you know, what, what we talk about every day, uh, interacting with other hikers, um, you know, just like Nobos talk to us about snow conditions and river crossings and everything else, you know, we just, you know, we depend on each other, but, um, you know, not always the best accurate information. So it's good to cite many different sources. So that's my wild card topic. And uh, so I hope you can gleam a nugget or two out of that and uh, be able to make your own well-informed, well-educated decisions as you move forward uh, around closures and navigating uh, the way on the PCT. And I read an article this morning in the track that basically... Um, you know, talked about conditions and talked about, um, you know, how you get information. Um, and that was, you know, that was, that was a real good article. So it kind of resonates with, with what I'm saying. So Catmandu out for now until the next assignment. Happy trails. What's up the track? This is Cal, trail name Starburst, pronouns they, them, reporting from the CDT. I'm on day 12, and something I've been thinking a lot about is the rebellion of imagination and playing with your inner child in the outdoors, in a world that discourages imagination, or at least doesn't leave much time for us to imagine. We don't get much time to interact with and play with our inner child when we're inundated with so many responsibilities and when we're actively socialized to um, inhabit particular niches in society. Um, we're taught to have this job, be this person, make this money, etc. And we don't often take time to pause and ask ourselves, what do we really want out of life? And what is our inner child asking for? And can we just have fun and play with it and exercise our imagination? When I told my family I was going to through hike, um, both when I did the AT and now the CDT, they were not supportive at all. My mom was, but I'm very lucky for that. But the rest of my family told me things that perhaps you've heard from people, um, such as, that's a waste of time, you're throwing your career away, you're throwing your life away. And first of all, I think that reflects a very Western capitalist conception of time itself and that time is linear and life is cumulative. Um, I don't see time that way. I feel it's very reductionist and always leads to unhappiness. I conceive of time in sort of a combination of Eastern and Western circular conceptions of time where time is like a coil where there are revolutions and cycles in life, but with a forward trajectory. So we're constantly circling, uh, cycling in growth, but we learn a little more. We improve a bit each time and we do move forward to a different locus in this constellation of, of possible selves and personal growth and betterment. And that's really why I'm here on trail. I find that when I'm outside, when I'm outdoors, it awakens a childlike wonder that is hard to access in other spaces. Every day is a new day. Every day is an invitation and the colors and the smells and the sounds in the outdoors are so much more vibrant. And when I'm here, my inner child can play. I can imagine I'm truly free to be who I truly am. 
And when you're outside, when you're outdoors, interacting with your external environment, that can often help us reflect on our internal environment, which is my one of my main priorities in through hiking. And that is that it's a continuation of a process that has been ongoing, but really, um, I really flourished during quarantine when I was forced to spend more time with myself alone than I ever had before, even more than my first through hike. And in doing that and really listening to my inner child and listening to myself, I discovered that I'm not the person that I was told I was and trained to be. So last year, I came out as trans non-binary and my pronouns are they, them. And I couldn't have done that without the opportunity to imagine otherwise. Imagine a life in which I was free to be my truest and best self. And when I'm outside walking in the woods as I am now, if you can hear it, hear the birds, this is where I feel truly free. And this is where I feel surrounded with uh, and embraced with the love of the outdoors absent from all of the mirrors that society holds up to us that distort our image of ourselves, absent of this capitalist construct that there must be something wrong with you um, in order for them to sell you something. It's a deficit mindset. And out here, none of that exists. You are, I feel whole, I feel healed in a way that is hard to do in this capitalist world. So to be outdoors, to through hike, to be, to interact with nature, you have to rebel. It is a rebellion to be out here. That's why people who are still stuck in that mindset say it's a waste of time. You know, you're throwing away your career because this is inconsistent with those concepts of time and productivity where everything surrounds uh, is revolves around productivity. So if anyone has ever said anything like that to you, they can go fuck themselves because what better way to spend your life and to spend your time than to be outside in whatever capacity you can and whatever capacity is right for you and play with your inner child, imagine a better world, imagine a better external world and internal world inside yourself and uplift your own spirit. I mean, that's why I'm out here and it's really not easy to fight against all of those thoughts that we've been trained to think. But I'd say out here, I'm feeling pretty good right now. So... I hope that you will take the time to reach out and share uh, your stories of growth and rebellion and your stories of freedom and imagination. Thank you for being on this journey with us. This is Starburst on the CDT signing off. Hello, this is Rooster on the CDT and today I'm recording from Helena, Montana. Um, we just got in about a day and a half ago, took our second zero, and uh, today I'm recording wildcard episode number one. And uh, what I want to talk about today is something that's been on my mind a little bit, which is fire and uh, fire ecology. Um, so something that we have been working on for the past day here is figuring out some new routes. Um, there's a wildfire that's closed a bit of trail on the Idaho-Montana border. And uh, we've decided we're gonna go ahead and do a big alternate to stay east of this fire. Uh, after doing the PCT, we kind of learned it's probably best not to bank on it being out by the time you get to it. Um, so fire's been on the mind 
when we came out of Augusta about a day in, I was sort of hobbling along in the back of the group. Uh, I'd got some shin splints, uh, which were very painful and was trying to be very methodical in my walking, uh, trying not to pigeon toe my left foot because I knew that would end up uh, leading to some knee issues, even though it would temporarily, you know, make my shin splint feel a little bit better. And I was strolling along. Uh, we came up into a little piece of forest that had thousands of little lodgepole pines, really densely uh, growing together in a grove. Um, a few feet apart from each other. And I realized that that was one of the final stages of post-forest fire uh, forest that we hadn't seen yet. Coming into the bob, we saw pretty much scorched earth. Um, it was from a fire that I think had happened just back in 2017, I think from a, a lightning strike. Uh, we had crawled over. I think someone had counted it out and left a comment on gut hooks. There's something like 750 blowdowns across the trail, a 10 mile stretch that was nearly flat that probably would have normally taken us about three and a half hours tops. Uh, took us almost six or seven hours to get through. By the end, we were kind of losing our minds and it felt fun. Um, but it was not a, an environment I was expecting to walk through. Uh, you know, lots of burnt trees, lots of trees on the ground, almost no herbaceous plants growing on the uh, on the uh, the floor. Just a few grasses, and that is typically what you see in the first year or two after a uh, a really bad wildfire. Um, only a few days later, we walked past one uh, another scene that was kind of in its next stage. Um, and it turned into a big meadow. Hundreds of wildflowers, um, a lot of different species. Um, and this meadow stage is kind of a, a beautiful thing. Uh, lots of insects flying around. Um, you know, they are, they're living off of the pollen and nectar of these plants. They're it's supporting life for birds with all of the seeds. Uh, grazing animals um, like deer. Uh, we even saw some elk and then of course uh, bears which also you know primarily forage on berries and seeds and then of course on grubs and caterpillars and and things like that which are all benefiting off those plants. And our day out of Augusta we saw well actually no there's another stage before that which is where the aspens start to sucker back up and you start seeing the first of the conifers uh, kind of standing on their own or, uh, you know, little clusters of them only a few feet off the ground. And then, of course, what I mentioned at the beginning of this, which was these tight stands of trees in uh, their next stage is basically competing for light and the strongest ones grow to be big, mature trees and shade out the other ones. Um, and, uh, and eventually you have, uh, you know, a forest again. Um, and while I was thinking about all this, I kind of uh, started to reflect on how much that reflects uh, just life in general. Uh, situations I've been in and many other people have been in where, you know, the worst sometimes happens and it, it really does feel like everything has become bleak and burnt down to the ground. But uh, if you give yourself time and care and more time, eventually, uh, you know, your meadow starts to grow again. And, you know, there's beauty and, and reflection that you can appreciate. And once you've found that and become comfortable uh, with yourself, you know, the trees start to grow and those are people and relationships and opportunities. And uh, with more time and nurturing, you have certain, you know, opportunities and people and experiences uh, rise up above the others and, uh, you know, putting, your, putting yourself back together. And, you know, this could be from the end of a career or the end of a relationship. Um, 
but when when things do fall to the ground you can give yourself a little bit of time and know that they'll they'll start growing back uh, those are just some of the thoughts that, that kind of went through my head that day as I as I hobbled along and uh, we're really excited to see what comes up next and while we're a little frustrated that it looks like we might be missing our uh, border of Idaho turning our CD trip from a five-state adventure to a four-state adventure. Uh, you know, it's all part of the cycle. Uh, and, uh, you know, it is what it is, and we'll keep on marching along. Um, that is all I have for now. So until next time, it's a rooster out. Hey y'all, this is Link checking in on the Continental Divide Trail. Um, it is currently day 11 for me, and I am somewhere in the Bob Marshall, Wilder Bob Marshall Wilderness next to a beautiful little stream. And for the wildcard episode today, I thought I'd share a part of my day four that I thought was fairly wild. So on day four, my partner and I, we walked along the High Line Trail, and the High Line Trail is what it sounds like. It's a trail that takes a really high line through the national park. And, you know, you can look out and see kind of down into these valleys and these beautiful mountain peaks. And as we started our day along the High Line Trail, we knew we were going to face a section called the Ahern Drift, which is a snow hazard that has like steep snow. And as, we, as we're walking along the Highland Trail, before we even got to the Ahern Drift, we rounded a corner and saw a giant grizzly bear up on this hill, luckily at a safe distance from us. And so we slowly made our way along the trail, kind of skirting around where the grizzly bear was that we could see. But this grizzly bear looked like a huge buffalo. In fact, I almost thought it was a buffalo. But yeah. And then once we made it past that giant, kind of scary grizzly bear, we we're able to see the drift and walk around to it. And as we're walking around to it, we're kind of thinking like, oh, are we going to make it across? Are we going to have to turn back? Like, what is this going to mean for us and the rest of our, our hike through Glacier? So we get there and we brought ice axes and micro spikes and we put them on because we thought the best line would be to kick steps across to the trail on the other side, which is this trail kind of cut into a cliff side. So we started chopping steps with our ice axes and taking turns and making it across. And we made it about halfway across and we glanced up and just down the trail, this like cliff, cliff trail, we see another grizzly bear just walking towards us down the trail. And we both kind of pause and we're like, um, okay, like, what do we, what do we do now? Like, what do, what do we do? We're in the middle of this snow hazard our ice axes are like in the snow we're in these these steps that we kicked ourselves is this bear going to walk across the snow to us and so we just kind of stood there quietly and watched the bear and it kind of came to the snow and eventually kind of made its way down the cliffside and then onto the snow and then honestly it just kind of avoid, avoided us most of the time which we appreciated but we were still like thinking like should we get our bear spray out should we be speaking to this bear? And eventually it just kind of went on its merry way and left us to left left us be, which we appreciated. And so, you know, we're in the middle of this drift. We just watch this bear make make its way around it, like we're trying to do. And so we actually ended up just turning back and going down and around the same way the bear <laughs> went through the drift, which actually ended up being a really great way. So we made it across, took a break, ate some food, and continued along the High Line Trail. And just top it all off, we come around one more corner, and there on another hillside with like beautiful yellow flowers is a mama bear and two little bear cubs in the distance. And so we walk on the trail very warily and slowly, making sure not to disturb them. And, you know, we're walking on the trail, and they're maybe like 50 or 60 feet away from us, just kind of grazing on this in this like beautiful stunning landscape and eventually they notice us and we have our bear spray out 
and they kind of pause and gather together and then they turn and run away, which is basically what we wanted to do is turn and run away because we know that that's one of the most dangerous spots to be is with a mama bear and two bear cubs. And yeah, that was a particularly wild part of our day four. Um, very memorable. So thanks for listening. And it's wild out here. I'll see you next time. All right. Bye. And that's it for today's show. In the next episode, our hikers share what has surprised them the most about their journeys thus far. If you're enjoying Trail Correspondence, we would be immensely grateful for your review on Apple Podcasts. This goes a long ways to helping to get the word out about the show. You can keep up with our hikers by following us on social media through Facebook and Instagram. Similarly, the best way to ensure you don't miss future episodes is to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and or all the other usual suspects. This season's episodes are edited by our guy, David Zitney, who can be found at Audio on Instagram. That's it for today's show. Until next time, thanks for listening and happy hiking.